if you see me, I was like completely dancing to the theme. I saw you off screen. Yeah, you were rocking out. I was loving it. Hello and welcome to (laughs) the last episode in our season one of Brave Space Live. I'm Tashel. If you haven't gotten to know me already, you're probably sick of me at this point. But I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner and learning consultant, and this is my co-host, Mel. I am Mel. I am a social ethicist and an author. Hello, hello. So this is Brave Space Live, as you all know, where we're having tough conversations around anti-oppression and communal healing. Yeah. So today, with our last episode of this season, you'll probably hear me say that 10 times because I'm I'm sad, so I'm trying to fight back the tears. We'll so be back, gonna, don't worry. We'll don't be, worry. We are going to come back, and we'll tell you about that a little bit later in the show. But today we're talking about decentering whiteness. What a great way to end our first season with some real communal healing about what we can do to move forward. So in our conversation today, we'll go through, we have a, we do have a listener letter, hopefully we can get to it, but we got two really special guests. We really wanted to bring you the other two people that are behind this show with us, our producers. So uh, we'll bring in a second after I intro them with their proper intros, um, <laughs> our producers, Alicia Govins and Joe Faquare. So we wanted to bring them on and I'm going to tell you really why I really wanted to have them because they both really represent two different perspectives in being uh, women of color, black women specifically. Uh, Alicia is a biracial woman. She has a white mother and a uh, black father. So her experience is very different than I would say mine is having both black parents and Jonah dad also is an immigrant, a Haitian immigrant to America and has very different experiences in what it's like growing up. I think she became here somewhere between the ages of eight and 12 to America. So she wasn't born in America, but she's been here for a long time with her family being here as well. So I really wanted to hear what their perspectives were on how they have decentered whiteness and adding it just not just not just my experience and Mel's experience, but to other people's experiences. And what way, what a better way to like end our, our season than with people who are helping us produce this show. So I'll talk, give a little, uh, a specific um, uh, background about each of them. So both of them work in student affairs and higher education. Alicia's focus is on supporting student success and development, operationalizing DEI strategic goals and growing a sustainable and inclusive community with different uh, universities that she's worked at. And Jonah Joe, as we affectionately call her, Um, is also a student affairs professional and as she calls it an avid plant mom i'm just going to say that i gave her her first plant or maybe not her first one but i gave her one i don't know if it's even still alive alive i'll have to ask her um she focuses on providing holistic a holistic approach through programming um being on various committees and workshops and helping to bridge the gap between in diversity education and education outside of the classroom for students and experience for experience and growth so we'd like to welcome them both did I do that well? Did I do it? Did I do it okay? Sure did. Yeah. Did it work? Okay. 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 It was it was hard to be like, um, I know them, but I have to tell you all because you all don't know them so well. <laughs> did you hear your first plant, Joe? This is very important. Not my first, but definitely oh. my most memorable one, and it's still alive. So okay, great. Ah! It's still alive. It's great. Yeah, great. This is like four years ago. <laughs> I know. 
So your plant's like four years old. So the sad, the sad thing about that before we actually tell the story is I got a plant from a coworker years and years ago and that plant grew really really big and that and subsequently just recently uh i had to get rid of it because it, there, it had root rot and i couldn't get i couldn't yeah. it wasn't coming back to life but okay. the person who gave me the plant still has the original plant she got and oh, wow. when i go to visit new york city which is where i got the plant from she said she will give me another uh clipping and help propagate so i can get a new plant but i'm waiting till i get another apartment that has a lot of windows so that's that's a that's a neither here nor there but uh, she's a plant mom and heard that story i'm sorry i'm sorry guys (laughs) i'm sorry y'all um so we we wanted to ground today's episode as we do with all others in a little bit of a story and alicia said she had a story about something about decentering whiteness so we wanted to hear that story from you alicia yeah absolutely so um i was involved in a situation in my uh prior uh work experiences where i was uh, attending a training Um, And the trainer um, had pulled me aside and said, hey, I noticed that all the black students are sitting together. And so I want you to go and kind of figure out why they're doing that. And I, you know, want you to let me know if if there's something that they're upset about. Maybe that's the reason why they're sitting together and maybe I can fix it. Um, And so immediately I looked around the room and then I told the trainer, I said, well, Yes, I see that there are a few people who happen to have brown skin sitting with each other, but at the seven other full tables, there are only white people sitting at those tables, but that is fine. That looks normal to you. The, the thing that is sticking out to you is that these, these people who have brown skin are sitting with each other. And then I, I also mentioned to this person, I was like, also oh, the people at the, the table, um, uh, uh, people of color, they're all not the same race. You know, they're, they're different, uh, they're, they're, they're different uh, BIPOC um, people. They have different cultures distinct from each other. Um, and so, but you're not used to seeing that. And then immediately the trainer said to me, yeah, you're absolutely right. I didn't think about that. I, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. You know, sometimes I need help too. And so it was interesting um, having experienced that and, and, and seeing that the trainer was concerned with the one table of, of, of brown people, but, did, but felt like it was normal for all the other tables of fully white individuals or white appearing individuals. That was normal, but what wasn't normal was the people of color sitting together. So uh, I'll give an educational note in BIPOC being black and indigenous and other people of color, just so you all know. And <laughs> and, and it's so funny because what you're talking about is li- literally theorists have written about this and, and journalists have written about this. Beverly Daniel Tatum famously wrote a called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria? And it literally talks about that. So like the fact that somebody, it was like that coming to life is wild to me. I I also want to throw it out there. I do want to throw it out there that there were like four people of color in like this group of 50 people. So, yeah. (laughs) That's what happened. So, yeah. So I think a lot of this conversation is probably going to be focused on for folks who are new to these types of ideas. uh, Centering, decentering can sound really theoretical and academic, Mm -hmm. but your story is so perfectlish because it shows how normativity works and when we say normativity it's really just what's what we have been conditioned to see as normal it's like i as a white person don't notice when white normativity or white centering is happening because i'm white and i just often don't see it unless i take the time to educate myself or people of color around 
people of color around me educate me on like oh no you, you why aren't you paying attention to the seven white tables w with all white people why is the the table of people of color the only like other the not normal thing and you're blind to the rest of it sorry i, I actually try not to use the word blind because it's kind of ableist so I'm trying to work on my so language the, there, there's a term that we call with that with whether there's one black person or a person of color and um or a group in a group in a sea full of whiteness that so we call that they call that the fly in the milk it's like huh. this thing is different and then doesn't belong here in this glass of of white milk there there's so many different uh metaphors and similes and things that you can use for that but it is it's this it's this universalism and this 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 thought process of centering centering whiteness how it's centered in all the things that we do and how mm -hmm. we think about this so i just so that's one of the things that we wanted to like get your perspectives on what is centering how is it how is how is whiteness centered and then talk about before we get to i mean before after we get to that we kind of want to talk about how you've decentered it in your practice in your own life because that's a that's a really big thing uh and to your to your point mel one of the things that kind of pops up to me is really thinking about how uh white people don't notice whiteness but like black people notice whiteness but then also have to work because if you're educated in the u.s system and most systems to be honest because um whiteness has traveled around the world that you have to learn how to decenter whiteness in yourself as a person of color because white is the standard that's part of what centering is white is usually the standard and you and one and i'll, I'll give you my example of how whiteness is centered if you and any viewer out there goes and googles the most beautiful woman they have now added people of color but it's way far down right in the in those google searches and if we can think about that for like the sexiest man alive there have only been i think three people of color four people of color and twice it was Denzel Washington. Um, it was, no, five. There's five in the history. So there's The Rock, there's Michael B. Jordan, there's um, Denzel Washington tw twice, and Idris Elba. But um, when we think about most, most beautiful woman, she's usually white, blonde, and of a certain body type and things like that. So that's centering because that's what is most beautiful, right? Yeah. Even though we, are, we have so many different people. But I'd love to hear from you all. I'm, I, the couple things that you said there um, uh, spark something in me. Um, so especially when we're talking about centering whiteness and how it comes up in everyday conversations, I think about like what we talk about, you know, when it comes to popular culture, right? This idea that like, I, and let me just say, I've been the fly a lot of the times in the milk. Um, I found myself being the fly trying to buzz around. Um, but in, the, in, in those experiences, what I've noticed is that even in conversations, right, with with predominantly white people, when, you know, the idea that like, I don't know a specific scene from friends, or I don't know a specific something from popular culture, it's like, oh my gosh, like you've never seen this, or you don't understand this. And it's like, well, have you seen, you know, have you seen Martin? Do you understand Living Single? Do you understand all of these shows that I have grown up with? And I have, you know, even coming from to the US, that I know as popular, right? That I know has a, as having influenced how I see the world and who I am, the things that I say, the things that I find funny, um, you don't know those things and you don't have to because you don't have to tap into my experience in the same way that I have to tap into yours. Um, 
And so, I think, so it's just so like so funny when you think about like Seinfeld. They say it's a show yeah. about nothing, and it's one of the most popular shows. And I hadn't seen it until I was well into my twenties. I still haven't seen and it, fam- and, and don't like it. Yeah, still haven't seen it. Um, and then the and then the second thing about that to you know Tyshell's point about you know looking up things. I don't know about you, Alicia, or you, Tyshell, but like even when I'm googling stuff or when I'm on Pinterest trying to find things, like. There ha- I have to specifically say for black women. The other day, I was looking at cute like date um, uh, hairstyles for natural hair, and like a slew of like white uh, women, straight haired women came up, and like that's not the type of hair that I have, right? Um, so it's like I have to always specify in a lot of spaces, not even just online, but like even as I move through the world, I have to specify the need for my perspectives to be to be considered not even centered but to be considered um in what's considered popular and what's considered beautiful and what's considered relevant um all all the while whiteness taking from black culture and making it the popular um uh and seeing it through the popular lens so it's 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 very interesting but this idea of decentering whiteness is something that like Coming from coming coming from Haiti and being here, I never really had to do it in Haiti because I was surrounded by Caribbean people. I was cr- surrounded by Black people, but then when I came to the U.S., it's like, oh snap, this is different, right? Like I am one of three, I am one of two, I am one of one that looks like me in this space, and I have to conform and I have to kind of forget my Haitianness in order to to survive in this in this environment. So, and that's something that I can still say that I you know experience even now as an adult. Wow, you brought up so many, so many, so many good things. things. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I forget that like when there's a thing there in, in Mel, if you don't, you, maybe you don't know this, but there's a thing called black famous and it'll be people, black people who've been yes. famous for Regina decades. King. Regina King is, is, is an example. That's definitely where I was going because she is the most <laughs> black famous person. She has, she, the, her first TV show was in the early 80s she was on a tv show called 227 about people who lived on a block and they like it was a neighborhood show throughout one apartment and she was on that show i think at 12 or 14 and she has been famous consistently in the black but only in the black community people don't they're like who the girl who was in benjamin button and we're like no that's taraji p henson and also no like she has been famous five ever Case in point, I don't know who this person is. I mean, I'm not great with celebrities in general, but still, like, I don't, I have no clue. This is, this this is not something that white people know. Who was it? Um, Angela Bassett was like, she was just recently giving an interview and they were like, what's something, do you ever think you've been snubbed for like a major award? And she was like, yeah, what's love got to do with it? I think the person who it went to that year, like it was the easiest role that had no complexity, but what she was playing, she was embodying Tina Turner and didn't win an award for that. But it's just so, it goes to show you like until Regina King, who's now been in like, I think the Umbrella Academy is mm-hmm. a show that she's in. Nobody really knew who she was, but she's been famous. No, Mary J. Her. Blige. Mary J. Blige was in the Umbrella Academy. I don't know where. Regina no, King I think was Regina from. King was either that or American Horror Story. I think yeah. they are both in that. No, I think yeah, yeah, Regina yeah. King did a, st- a stint on um, on that as well. But that mm-hmm. until they were in something that was like considered mainstream, right, nobody right. even knew who they were. Alicia, I'd like to yeah. get your some of your perspective on like what you what you feel centering is, and uh, maybe even going off of I don't know. if <laughs> We're all nodding to Joe's experience. Like yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but we'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on that. 
um, so uh, like Joe, um, Joe said that she um, is uh, not from the United States, even though I have a white mom. And even though I have a black dad, neither of my parents raised me. Um, it was my father's mother, my grandma, who raised me. And so, um, I don't, ha I don't necessarily have a perspective of of having to contend with, um, I guess, like pulling back and forth with the two um, races of my parents per se, um, because, you know, my black grandma is the one who who raised me in a major city um, where there was a predominantly black presence um, in all of the schools that I had attended for the most part. Um, and so what I had to contend with was my light skin privilege and being, being different in terms of having a lighter skin of the, of the uh, brown skin people. Um, and kind of navigating that, uh, like those waters, and also mm -hmm. having to, I guess, stake my claim, um, like show, like stand my ground in that I am black, I guess. Because um, mm -hmm. white people know I'm not white. You, you know what I mean? And, and I could be a little bit racially ambiguous. Like some people think I'm Hispanic or, or, or something like that. Um, but uh, having to um, kind of like double down on my identity um, and decentering whiteness in that way. Um, I remember being in elementary school, um, having conversations with other students, um, and they would ask me things about white people. And I know, cause I really didn't know no white people either. Like, yeah. But they were like, they were like, you, she knows because she's part white. So she's yeah. gotta know. And I'm like, I don't know. Like. That's probably the most decentered white place that you could ever be is like a, a black middle school. And they're like, so what do white people like? And you're like, no. I'm like, I'll go ask know. my mom and report back. And then like, they would say things like white people can't fight. And I'd be like, well, it's a good thing I'm not white. And then I look at them and then they don't try anything. You know what I mean? Um, but it was, there was a lot of, um, it was interesting because the things that we watched on television, um, we knew at, at being in a predominantly black neighborhood, um, there were no white students in my, um, in my uh, elementary school, my middle school or my high school. But we knew a lot about uh, like the mainstream culture. We watched a lot of those um, uh, mainstream things, those television shows, as well as the black famous stuff. You know, we, we were well versed in all of that. Um, but it wasn't until I got to college that I um, really um, uh, understood that there is a black famous and that most white people don't know about anything in it it's like they <laughs> every year it's only like two people it's like everybody knows will smith and denzel washington uh and and then like two maybe like two black actresses as right. well and Beyonce. yeah Beyonce. Some... Well, and, and you know but did you see the snl skit that when that when people when they found out that beyonce was black it is if you have not seen that SNL skit, you should watch it. And it was after the Super Bowl where she did um, like an ode to Black Panther, to, mm -hmm. to, to the Black Panthers, not Black Panther the movie, but Black Panther the the group. The she did an ode. They were yeah. like, Beyonce's black. It is the funniest. So y'all, if you, in the in the audience, if you have not seen it, it is hilarious because that, yeah. that people, like white people are finding out 
that Beyonce is black and it is they are they they're like not hilarious. necessarily horrified but they're like flabbergasted at the fact that they had no idea she was black so I think that's an interesting yeah. one Mel I'd love to hear some of your perspective in like how different in 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 you know how whiteness I mean maybe how you think whiteness was centered but also like what centering is for whiteness and how that just looked in your experience i I actually if i could if i just could there was um something that i I definitely wanted to say um about Mm -hmm. my college experience um a lesson that i had to learn in decentering whiteness is of the white people who did know black famous stuff and who who were i guess essentially quote unquote woke i would hold them in such high regard and i would like something that even though it would be a, a situation like that you should you should you should not like for example i'll say holding racist beliefs of the white people that i knew who had limited or no, none that i was aware of racist beliefs i would hold them at a higher pedestal than i would any other black person who mm-hmm. also you know and it's like people doing the right thing or doing their job or or just doing the bare minimum in that regard. When it came to whiteness, I had such an expectation because it was normalized that inherently they would just have specific thoughts and beliefs and things. Um, I really had to contend and um, I guess um, fix, you know, look within me and say, what am I, um, why am I holding this person to such high regard? You know, like when for they, doing the bare minimum. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And that's something I had to contend with in 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 college, and I wanted to share. Also, there's a are. great Beyonce meme for that, where they're at an award show and their daughter Blue Ivy is sitting between them, and she's she Beyonce is holding uh, Blue's snack pack and like juice box. And like they're clapping at whatever's happening on stage, and Blue's like, "Calm down, calm down." <laughs> so you gotta like be like, "Hey, you did the bare minimum." But it's like the meme says, yeah. like when when a white person does the bare minimum, and we and we invite them to the barbecue. Oh, by the way, yes. we'll tell you why the barbecue is canceled. Mel, we love you. Still can't come to the barbecue. It's canceled. Nobody's right. doing it. We're not doing it. But um, but you're like, calm. When a white person does their bare minimum, you're like, calm down, yeah. calm down. You don't get don't cookies. Need- yeah, we've right, talked about yeah, this yeah. a couple times. You don't just get cookies just because you like said something not racist. If you're white person. <laughs> Or you did, yeah. or you did a dance, or something. Yeah. <laughs> so when the bar it, is solo. So white people, I I agree with everything that's been said in the in the sense that white people have to work to learn how to see when white whiteness is being centered. We have to work to learn how to recognize it. It's like yeah. the analogy that I use is like you know when you first wake up in the morning, you haven't brushed your teeth yet, and you take a bite of something and you can't really taste it. Like your sensibilities, like because you got like your your breath is stinky. Like you got you know stinky stuff going on in there it's like it it impacts your ability to sense and taste and smell things Mm -hmm. i honestly think it's like is that a weird analogy i think it's a very weird analogy because i don't i what are you waking up and just immediately getting out of the bed and eating something i I don't even talk about that i i I usually brush my teeth first smell like like, okay usually usually i'll be real i feel you i feel you i feel you okay it impacts your ability to sense things that's what Mm -hmm. i'm trying to get okay right right the announce so so as a white woman and i think this is why i think this is why white men have such a hard time understanding diversity in general i think and i i don't want to give white women more credit or cookies than we're due but at least women have an understanding of what most women i know have an understanding whether no matter what race you are have an understanding of what it's like to be a woman minority in, in a male dominated space so mm-hmm. to me that's the analogy that i can 
start to build my sense of empathy and understanding for this, right? I, I can never know what you all experience as women of color or people of color in a white dominated space. I can never understand what that's like because I, I don't have access to that experience, but I can find an analogous experience in my in my background and 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 sing and use my imagination to say okay what could that be like if it was even more layers of complexity here's an example that i will use uh, especially for any white folks watching so i'm a musician and i have been in bands that are i'm the only woman in the whole band of dudes and i've been in groups where nobody says anything outright sexist to me nobody not a single person but i'm very well aware that i'm seen as a tag along or that i have to prove myself or that anything i say i have to like uber support it i'm not just trusted that i have leadership or authority in that space and if i'm in, and i'm really acutely aware if i'm there just because they think it'd be cool to have a girl in the group but they don't actually respect me they don't actually really want me there i'm not really part of the group i'm other i know what that feels like and i can't imagine having race as another layer on top of that right i've also been in groups of bands where I'm the only woman, where I do feel like my authority is respected. I do feel like I'm, when I say things that people listen and take me seriously and I don't have to, I don't have to run the extra mile just to be treated like an adult. I really do feel like they want me there, right? I, it's like an energy. It's like a sense, a spidey sense that you get. It's so, so I think in those, you know, the first band I mentioned, the, that first space that I would say that's a male centered space. That's a male normative space where womanhood is seen as other. So you can use that same sort of structure and apply it to race or apply it to ableism or apply it to heteronormativity, right? Nobody has to say anything outright hateful in that space for minority folks to feel uncomfortable and unwanted and unwelcome. Yeah. I, I think, so I think that, however, I would, I would say that, so I was watching some social media the other day, I think it was TikTok, and, the, and a woman said, often in this space of, of racism that we experience, that people experience, white men know their place at the top. They just, they know it, right? So there's not a lot of argument to have with them often. Now there is in nuance, but some, some of the most problematic stuff comes from white women and yes. or queer men because, or black men, black men or queer men. So those three, because they have some marginalized identity, but then some inference into the other, the, the other thing. Um, I think Joe might, you might be shuffling papers or something. I'm sorry <laughs> it was hitting microphone, but um, just, so there's some inference into the other thing. So white women can lean into their whiteness. Um, men, black men can lean into their maleness and queer folks often can lean into their whiteness. Whereas I am a, a heterosexual woman, black woman, and I don't know what it's like to be a queer person of color. So we have, we share some identity and my, the some identity that I share with another marginalized group should actually bring me closer to them. But often we find uh, white women at odds, right? Yeah. So that becomes some of the issue. So when we're talking about centering, I think it, it is, it depends on what you do with your femaleness. It depends on what you do with your womanness, right? Because we can see that in like, um, uh, uh, feminist movements, right? When a white woman says she's a feminist, I'm still, my, my spidey senses go up 
And they stay up until she talks about the intersectionality, the womanist, the the queer perspective, things like that. But I would actually draw more inferences on uh, LGBTQ and the long history of that for people of color in groups that we that people belong to than I would with women. But I understand that most women can say, I know what that's like as a woman, but I'm like, yeah, but do you know what it's like as a woman? And then this, right? No, I had a, I had a coworker say, right. I had a, yeah. I had a coworker call it, um, a friend of mine call it uh, the multiplicity of oppression. And I was like, Ooh, girl, I love that. Like there's yeah. just understanding what that, that, um, that, that those entanglements are and how that looks. But I definitely think when we, when we're talking about centering whiteness, it's just this in, it's the invisibility of it. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I say like, like whiteness can sometimes be like water. Like people think that it, it's everywhere, but it can burst pipes, but, mm-hmm. but, uh, but you need it but you, but, but it too much is a, is a problem. Right. So, and it, it also shape shifts, like water becomes whatever vessel you put it in. It yeah. fits that right. So whiteness often levels up and it's so invisible to the point where I was in a conversation with a white person the other day. And I said to the group of people, I said the term white, like I was like, you know, as white people. And they were like, when you said that, it felt really de- like you were being derogatory. Like they felt like I was what? saying something derogatory. Yes. And I was <laughs> no. like, I just think white, white people, people are hate not- being, being, being called white, essentially. Very, very often until it yeah. serves them and then they say yeah. something different. Absolutely. So then when, when this person said it, I said, well, what about that is, is problematic? Well, I actually use the term white folks. And they were like, um, well, folks sounds like an old term. It says like, it sounds, it sounds like you're um, calling me white trash. And I was like, <laughs> I, but I, but if I wanted to, then I would just say white trash, but I didn't. And I said, well, one folks is a term that leading DEI scholars and people who do the work call because it, it you know, folks with an X or with an X or an LKS or whatever, right? Or KS, um, because it's inclusive of gender, right? Of different genders. But so that, that, you know, so I tried to separate those two terms, but then that being the latter, but the other part is that white people are just not used to hearing their race named because it is universal. It is normative. It is everything. Right. So it's a, it, I, I'm going to look for while we're, while we're chatting, look for, a, um, there is a, a person who did a photo journal, a photo documentation, and they flipped all the race in the, mm-hmm. in the photo documentation. I've seen so this. I see, yeah. I'm going to see if I can find it because it is, it's so, because it, it speaks in even, even, this is how decentering whiteness still takes hold. I thought about this when, when I considered, and I'm going to say for me, right, how I'm decentering whiteness in my own life. Um, is that I considered, oh, we're going to bring on Joe and Lish, but then that's going to be three black women. And, and, and then Mel, she's the only white person as if all of our experiences are the same. Now we have some shared culture and shared experiences, but as I was saying, Alicia is a biracial person. Joe is an immigrant to American, have a, has a different experience than I do as an American born, uh, descendant of, of enslaved Africans. Right. So that being very different, but I still thought about that because it's, because I thought, and I, I didn't think about it as something bad but i thought about how the audience could perceive that because if 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 mel wasn't secure in who she was and hadn't known all of us the first time we say something against her she could be like well i don't need you all attacking me and then we become the aggressor right it could oh, it, that, that kind of thing can easily happen they'll be like oh well they had all of these they had all of everybody that was on there was black because that that tends to happen mm-hmm. right so i was thinking about that in in the in instance of decentering whiteness and how I still have to think about it yeah. all, all of the time. Yeah. 
I was going to say too, I actually had that similar experience back um, at work a couple of weeks ago, um, sitting on a committee and, um, you know, I was the only black woman in that committee. I think one of one of two um, people of color and then the only black person and the only black woman in that space. Um, and, you know, this was the first couple of times that we had met. And then, you know, there was like a third or fourth time, fourth meeting that was happening. And there was going to be like two other black women there. So now it's like three black women in like the, the one meeting. I'm just like, what is, are they going to think that this is, is this going to, is this going to set some, like, is this going to be weird? And even the, even kind of sitting with myself and thinking like, why would it be weird? Because I don't think that the white folks in the room ever come in and think, wow, like, there's too much of us in here, right? Like there's, how, how, how is this perceived for wow. all of us to be in here? And this, there's only two people of color in here, right? Um, and in a lot of ways too, like on the back end of that, I was, I, I hosted these like um, uh, game nights during quarantine. Um, they were called, uh, these little talks, they were called corn talks. Um, but in those conversations we had, um, we, I, I had two of my white friends come in and most of my friends are either people of color or mostly black. Um, and, uh, one of them shared with me, they were like, Joe, like this is, that was the first time that, you know, th this person that I knew was in a, was in a space that was full of, um, black people or people of color. Like that was the only time that they were in a space where it was mostly people of color and they could only see that one person that looked like them in that space. And my response was like, that's literally me every single time I go to work. That's mm. literally me every single time I go into the store in the community that I live in. So it's like, I think that white, white people, or I would say, I think that BIPOC folks like live in this, we are always conscious of our placement. We are always conscious of our, um, of how we are moving in every single space that we go through, we go into, even what I would say, even when like we are around BIPOC people, majority BIPOC people, because the way in which we speak, the way in which we carry ourselves, that that is all influenced by and or um, uh, uh, impacted by whiteness in some way, shape or form. I think about even my Caribbean-ness, right? Like colorism plays a big part in our culture. Um, when my sister was born, my sister's light skinned and like, my grandmother's, you know, uh, comments were like, oh my gosh, she has such, she's going to be so beautiful. She's going to be so this, she's going to be so that. And this, this over compensation of her skin tone and of her beauty because of what she looked like and having to unlearn that. And also, you know, help my sister unlearn that too. Like you are not better because you're light skinned. You are not more beautiful because you're light skinned. You are beautiful because you're beautiful, but not because you're light skinned, right? You're closer, yeah, um, not because you're closer to whiteness than others. Right, yeah. right, right. And mm -hmm. and you know, thinking about the ways we talk about, you know, in this broader sense of proximity to whiteness being something that is worth mentioning, but not always how it impacts like in our daily conversations in the way that we see um uh that we see each other um uh in the spaces that we inhabit. So like I think about it from my family. I think about it from my friend groups. I think about what's considered attractive, even in my, even as I was growing up in high school, right? Like I would have light skinned friends and like who would be, you know, getting the the guys to like come up to them and, you know, all these things, the yellow bone uh, 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 obsession, right? Like all throughout my days in high school, like this idea that like the closer you are to whiteness, 
the better you look, the better you are, the smarter you are. And that's reflected in business, right? Like that's reflected in um, uh, what's considered favorable. That's considered in what we see on TV, right? Like TV will, shows will say they have diversity, but you have the, you know, one light skin and um, racially amb ambiguous girl with, uh, what is it called? Th 2C, 4C, 3C hair, like the looser curls, right? Like right. that's considered the standard of beauty. Um, so I think about the ways in which like it, you can you can see how it influences our lives and um, on a daily basis. One of the, the words that, that you... comes to mind is totalizing. Mm -hmm. Totalizing. Right. Yeah. One of the things that you said, Joe, really stuck out to me. So I was working at uh, a university uh, some moons ago, um, and for reasons I can't name because I, I signed some paperwork that says I can't talk about them poorly. I won't mention their name. That's what happens at times. Uh, there wasn't a, a, like a, a court case or anything. It just was, um, you know, a severance. And they put that, and for whatever reason, they needed to put that in there. Like you can't speak publicly and poorly about, about our institution. But I was, I had brought the book White Fragility. We could talk about how that centers whiteness in, in that work. But I brought the book White Fragility because for me, that's the first place that white people start. If you can't handle this book, then you don't even get to read the black scholars who do the really serious work, right? You can't, like, why would I let you read or in introduce you to Audre Lorde, the perfection that is James Baldwin, if you can't even get through a white person telling you about your whiteness, right? So I gave that book to um, this uh, administrator and they actually ended up assigning it to their class as required reading. So great. So then there was a diversity committee and there was a person of color that was on it that was my boss. Um, although we're not the same, she is a Latina um, and she was leaving. So I said, oh, can I get on the committee in your place because we work in the same department. You know, I work right under that person um, representing the student side, right? The student um, facing work. And so I sent an email to that person and they said, um, I, well, I think we have an, even though uh, this person is leaving, my Latina boss is leaving, I think we have enough people of color on the committee. We have, and, and we have three, and we even have two people who identify as LGBTQ. And one of those is a person of color. So not only did he tell me I can't be on the committee, he told me how many people of color were on the committee. Mind you, it's a committee of like, I think 15 or 14. Oh my God. Three people of color um, and they had enough. And he's talking and about it like it's collecting baseball cards. It, so it so was he for said, him. sorry, we met, our, we met our diversity quota. You can't be a part. Like he's like, nope, we made quota. Nope, we oh. good. Wow. So, but, so he said, I think the, the, the perspective is represented well. So we don't need you on the committee, but if there's any, wow. if we, if we need, and this is the qual, this is the, the, the kicker, even worse than that. If we need help with the background work, we'll reach out to you to help us do the groundwork. So you don't want me to be on the committee representing the ideas. You want me to do the, the grunt work. Mm -hmm. What? Um, uh, no. So just for clarification, I just did some math. <laughs> Three people out of 15 people is 20%. And the United States population is 40% uh, people of color. So that diversity committee didn't even have proper representation according to like the US population. Like that's really embarrassing. And the thing is, it was person. just, it was this like, we already have the people of color perspective and think, but then thinking about the other side of that, do you qualify that as we have the people of color perspective, but everyone else can be white. 
there's no qualification because white people speak for everybody, but people of color only can speak for people of color. And we see that in many different areas. Um, there was a, a person who was talking about literary work in, in higher education or literary work in general. And they were talking specifically about the, the work of Toni Morrison. And they were saying like, Toni Morrison writes books, but she writes from the people of color perspective. So when her books are assigned, they're often assigned in African-American studies classes or during Black History Month. Whereas if we've all gone to high school in America, we've all read Shakespeare because he represents a universal perspective, although he does not. Right. Yeah. So thinking about how that's even written in what we're when we have this conversation. Um, Mel, did you get those those photos I showed you? I wanted to um, show and to see how shocking the centering of whiteness and how um, how normative and how invisible it is. Yeah. I wanted to share some. Yes. Of them. While while you're looking at that, um, there's this quote by uh, this writer. Um, uh, they're like a trauma, um, informed trauma, um, uh, 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 specifically talking about trauma, um, and how it relates to racial justice. Um, uh, name is Rizma Menakim. And, mm -hmm. um, the quote is the white body is the standard by which all other bodies are judged. And I, in, you know, thinking about conversations that we've been having about even like in the ways in which white women interact with this work, um, this idea that, you know, when we're talking about the things that have impact women um and how you know in 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 popular feminist um conversations we don't we tend not to center the um, perspectives of women of color and also outside of like um buzzwords right like when we're talking about i've heard so i've seen so many headlines about how black women die um at a higher rate than um than uh um White than white women do in childbirth and in in um uh in in pregnancies uh related um situations not because our bodies are different but because of inequities in um in uh healthcare. but there's it's it doesn't go past that headline like what are white women doing and part of the conversation is always well we need to raise awareness we need to raise awareness but that awareness comes at the cost of my peace of mind right like we don't think about that like i don't want to sit in a doctor's you know office and look at the video about how i'm gonna i have a, more of a chance of dying while you're just like oh my gosh i'm so aware now right like where does yeah. your how far does your awareness go to because your awareness is more for you and are we it's not necessarily about health about equity. Me. Yeah. yeah so it's 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 very interesting in the way that like not only is this a, like I think in a lot of ways we tend to have conversations and we and I think it's important for us to have conversations about what this means in concept and in theory. But I think a lot of the times I think people don't don't, you know, don't often consider like the real world world impacts of of that. Right. Like, so we've been centered. We've us? been centered whiteness in how we even do the work of DEI. Absolutely. Right? We're centering yeah. white knowledge and white people gaining knowledge and the um, pace in, in which they do it, too. Right. So yeah. uh, that's a really good example of how even awareness can like reinforce whiteness being centered. Like yeah. white people just get to like give themselves cookies and be like, oh, I'm so aware now, but I not actually this. do anything to change anything in the world. Right, right. The white whiteness stays centered. That's an mm -hmm. awesome example of that. What were you going to say, Taishal? So I wanted to, I just wanted to share the, the photos in this photojournalism yeah. um, that this person did because they're amazing. And the first time I saw it, it was even shocking to me. So it, so I think the questions were, does this, is this, does this ring is different to you? And if so, why, 
Mm-hmm. Does yeah, it look strange it to your sensibilities? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the first photo we have here is a, a little white girl, uh, like maybe six years old, staring up at a shelf of dolls. And every single doll is a doll with brown or black skin. Yeah. How do you feel just, when you all look at this photo? Uh, I, I have a specific story that goes along with that because my I, my mom used to buy us, when, you know, when I was a kid, I got baby dolls. And I remember my mom, I wanted this doll called um, Baby So Beautiful. Um, it was kind of like the cheap version of American Girl doll. Also, the Amer- the only American Girl doll that's black was a slave. Just uh, just saying, she was. You're she, right. The, yeah, Addie. You're right. Uh, right. But again, something that I don't see as a white woman. Like I just never right. thought about that. And now but they've yes, changed right. that. They've come. They've modernized. But the, her story was of being an enslaved person, um, and on the Underground Railroad and things like that. But um, when I was younger and I wanted this doll called Baby So Beautiful, it's one of those dolls that you can buy an outfit where your doll looks, you know, you and your doll can have a matching outfit. My mom bought, had to buy me a, the, the, the um, Hispanic Latinx one because there were no black ones at the time around Christmas. So I didn't get the black one until like years, years later because there weren't any. And, this, the, and I say Hispanic because she had slightly racially ambiguous brown skin, but it was always almost uh, so many of my Barbies were white. Even when we think about Barbies, like bar, there, there weren't for years, there weren't black Barbies. There was black Christy was the black Barbie. She wasn't a Barbie. She was Christy because Barbie was white. I'll tell you that when I look at this photo, um, I definitely see it's very unrealistic in the sense that you would never see a setup like this unless you go to like a specialty store, but no like regular, you know, look at my language. I'm saying regular, like everyday store that Mm -hmm. you walk into that's very prevalent. They would never have a setup like this. However, it is very common for if those dolls that had white skin, this is a very common setup that every one of them would potentially have white skin only um, without any representation. Of or any the black dolls would color. be in one section yeah. called that's like ethnic. ethnic <laughs> like, yeah. It'd be like ethnic dolls. This you is know, our diverse section, yeah. you know. Right. Funny enough too, like I, I would say like even in Haiti, I, I don't know that I can remember have, ever having a black doll even in Haiti. I, I want to wow. show the other the yeah. other pictures as well because so this one is one that really stands out to me as well because we so normalize um uh staff of, of that help you know maids as white i mean as, as latina let's explain what white. this photo is for the folks listening so in this photo there is it seems to be like an upper echelon um apartment or hotel room and there's a maid service and the maid is white and the woman who is receiving the help from the maid who's pouring her tea with her small yorkie on her lap is a latina woman who is on her phone not paying attention to the person who's um serving her so there's a white maid and a latina um, rich woman, I think, is in this, what it's supposed to be depicting. And we will post all of these on our social media so that you can see them as well. And then there's one more. This one is the one that kind of really got, I have never seen something like this. Um, Joe, can you explain this photo? Um, there is, uh, it's in a um, salon. Um, uh, there are a group of Asian women getting pedicures. Um, and foot massages uh, by white women, and the Asian women seem to be having the time of their lives. So, I've so never just, seen this either. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no never. never. And the white women are like below them, like mm-hmm. massaging their feet. Yeah, yeah, right. Again, normativity. Like what what looks normal to our eyes versus like oh, when you flip the script, holy smokes! Like this is suddenly very. Mm-hmm. 
The one that's not in there that I didn't, that I couldn't find, it's a little bit harder to find unless you find the actual journal. Um, the first one I think came from Oprah Magazine and I found them in different places, is there is a black, um, I guess they would call him like slave hand, you know, a, a sharecropper or something. And the in, in their enslaved white people in chains with chains around their feet, hands and neck. Um, so if I can find that one, I will post that to our social media um, as people are seeing it and how different, why it's a problem, right? We're having those kinds of conversations and then just the normativity of whiteness. We've already been in this conversation for like 47 minutes. Like it goes yeah. by so quickly. So right? let's transition now. So we've talked a lot about centering whiteness. Let's talk about decentering whiteness. What do we do about this? Now that we, you know, we've talked about awareness and things like that, we've talked about what you would call, what you called Taisho when we were playing the show, white universalism, the fact that whiteness is seen as the center of the norm and that white people can kind of speak for all people, but then mm -hmm. people of color's experiences like this really like other distinct, different experience, right? right. That you have to qualify. So um, we actually came up, we put our heads together and came up with a list of 10 things, 10 examples, ways that we could decenter whiteness. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear from Lish and Joe, anything you want to say to preface this conversation around decentering whiteness and i do have a question around this specifically if we're going to center bipoc folks does that require us to decenter whiteness first how does that work for you both yeah no i i absolutely agree that um in order to center bipoc you do have to you have to contend with decentering whiteness first you can't start off by by trying to showcase BIPOC, um, because I think all you're really going to do is I think you will just overshadow that with the, the whiteness that you center. So you must mm -hmm. start with that. And you have to like, you have to think about your role and how you perpetuate it. Um, oftentimes, um, it's thought I think I get the flavor anyway, that white people will think, what are other people doing? Like, what are they doing wrong? And how, what can be done so that they can fix it? But they don't view themselves as being part of the problem or perpetuating it or having mm -hmm. any racial blunders or, you know what I mean? And and we really need to, to, to when I say we, I mean they, I mean white people. <laughs> white people really need to contend with that. And they need to strip away the idea that if I admit that I perpetuate racism in any capacity, I must be a bad person. Like mm -hmm. you can be, you know, like you can be a nice person and be racist. Like, you, you know, you can be sweet. Like you can, you know, all those, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you have good manners and you can still be racist. And so you need to yeah. disassociate the two. Yeah. Yeah. That's great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, some of the things that I was thinking about, um, Mel, um, is naming it. Right. Like we need to I think sometimes we tend to talk about whiteness, like especially now as we are getting further and further into our um, DI becoming mainstream. Um, we need to name what whiteness is. How does whiteness show up in these spaces? And specifically, how does whiteness show up in the spaces that you're in? I know for me, it's how we talk about, you know, colorism and how is how we talk about is how we you know use language. Um, I know even for me and how I date, right? Like what I consider attractive, who I who I'm dating, um, and how I'm, 
you know, keeping a, a hold on my culture um, as I'm dating different people from different cultures and also being open to dating white men. What does that look like for me in still holding on to, you know, my Caribbean-ness, my Haitian-ness as I'm um, uh, uh, interacting? And I think naming whiteness and naming the attributes of whiteness is really important because then we just kind of have this looming um, uh, a boogeyman that we don't know what they look like. We don't know what we're looking for, right? Like, how are we going to to know how to decenter something that we're, we refuse to name and refuse to detail? Um, so I think that's one thing. And then also, like, I think in a lot of ways, in in connection to what Alicia was saying, it's it, it's not about guilt. It's about engagement. It's not about feeling bad for the things that like because a lot of these things we've all inherited right like i, I don't i don't want to um live in a world where whiteness is centered but unfortunately that's the world that i live in um how do i engage in how i how i live in that how do i engage in how it comes up in my work and in my personal life um and and you know how do i then learn to disengage that um so i think those are some things like understanding that it's 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 just again like these things we were a lot of these things we were given it's it's a matter of how do we then you know start to start to realize new ways new ways of seeing the world and new ways of seeing um uh, ourselves and other people yeah um quick yeah, follow-up question quick follow-up question sorry go, go ahead Taisha. i had two things that 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 kind of joe said that made me spark the thing and i think we have to have a, an entire episode on like what is whiteness like we yes. i think we talked about that a little bit like but like if you ask a person like what does it mean to be white? Like very often they can't come up with any particular thing about whiteness because white as a race is grounded in certain things, right? And, and especially in American experience of colonialism, whereas their, their ethnicity is more of who they are. And I had this conversation with somebody else the other day, um, the person I was having the conversation with about white folks, when I said, um, you know, they talked about their um, ethnicity and they were talking about um, an Irish ethnicity, right? And I said, well, to be Irish is very different than to be white then. They're like, yes. I said, but we, here's the thing. Every person in, in the Americas and especially North America has to hyphenate their identity to be uh, to American to the point where we've done that to indigenous folks by calling them Native American, right? So Native American, Asian American, African American, but we don't call white people European Americans. We just don't. No. And then the other thing about that being is that that person was saying, well, I'm, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm European American. I would say I'm Irish American. I say, yeah, but then I wouldn't say I'm African American. I would say I'm Zimbabwean American, but you haven't taken the time to really figure that out even. But I think we could have an entire conversation. Yeah, on, that'd be a great just, episode. <laughs> just that. So, I, But I at least wanted to pull that forward and get to your follow-up question. And definitely we're going to go over nine o'clock because we really want to bring you these 10 things. We're just going to keep going with them but, yeah. but so Fine. if you are here just stay with us or you know watch yeah. us later in your pocket there you go got us in but your go pocket. ahead to your follow-up question now follow-up question is okay this is a tough question that some people won't like that i'm asking but i'm gonna ask it anyway what do you say to white folks not white trash white folks okay what do you say to nobody white folks? was i was not calling nobody them white either. trash no i know i know i'm not call a white person that's no. a weird thing to call like i think only white people call each other white trash like i'm not yeah. calling white yeah. people white trash but anyway no one, what no would you say to white folks white trash. no one's no. calling anyone white trash okay what do you say to white folks who are offended by the idea of decentering whiteness and they think that you're trying to like get rid of white people or um like I, I heard know. somebody on TikTok say that something was anti-white, and I was like, 
anti-white that you're yeah you're trying to like oh like in a very like racist anti-semitic way like trying to replace white people or trying to mm -hmm. abolish whiteness or white people right what do you say to white people who have a negative reaction to the idea of decentering whiteness I have an answer, but I, I, so I'm going to, and I'm going to turn that question back on you, Mel, because you are the expert in the white people here. You are one of the, no, you are their leader today. You represent all of them. So I, I will say, and I, I'll give, I'll give Joe and Lish time to think, but one of the things I do, I, I would say, and, and, and stay with me here, because I think you all may, may agree too, is that if you decenter what we call white, what we term white, it opens up the possibility, and Joe, you're rustling papers again. She's like, I got to write down I'm my so ideas. I'm so sorry. I'm ready. <laughs> no, it's okay. She's like, I'm an academic. I'm going to write this down. Um, but when it, when you when you decenter what we term in the United States and North America spe specifically as whiteness, you can open up yourself to so many other possibilities of who you are instead of this rigid concept of what whiteness says you have to be, Right. And I think that, and, and this is from my, my, my social work clinical perspective, so many people fail at whiteness, even white people fail at whiteness. So if you stop trying to hold on to this rigid idea of being on time, time is money, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I have to make a million dollars and then a million more, I have to have the biggest house, I have to have 2.5 kids, then you can open up yourself to all of the other things that exist. And not, and then not culturally appropriate them, but like really share and enjoy in the fruits of, 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 um, of sharing with, with other cultures instead of taking to commodify other cultures. I want to see that for white people in decentering whiteness, because we're not trying to get rid of you. We're trying to get rid of this concept of what whiteness is. And I think it would just be such a, a like I have sat and listened to, I uh, have a, um, a person that I know that is native and just listening to how they talk about their experiences as a community and not the person. And one of the things that I recently did in a conversation was reconceptualize. They, somebody said, this person speaks so powerfully. And I said, I'm actually really want to reconceptualize what power is and say, this person speaks so peacefully. Why can't peace be the prominent thing and power be not as considered? So that's mm. what I was thinking. And maybe that was like a mic drop, but I really feel like that's I know. An awesome no, I, know this. Answer. I love that because it's talking, it's speaking to the, this is a set of opportunities. It's a positive thing to decenter whiteness. You only gain when that happens. It's not mm -hmm. like no one's taking your toys away. Right, <laughs> I was going to go the totally space. opposite direction. <laughs> you can you can be harsh to the white people, but if I do it, they gonna um, crucify me. They gonna um, they they not gonna have they gonna this. You gonna, you gonna be the angry black woman? Oh, I'm already yeah. the. Angry. But I do, but I also think that I'm not trying to offer white people an easy way into like sharing ideas because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's not gonna feel good because what's happening is you have to deconstruct your entire sense of being and be something very very different. And that's scary, but Gen Z are really poised to do that in that they, they approach things so, and, I, and I'm saying that because I know Gen both Z. of these, right, both of these uh, uh, lovely ladies work with that, that group of people, Gen Z and now Gen Alpha. And that, so many, not all of them. Not First all time I've ever heard but, that term, Gen Alpha. Gen Alpha is the people after Gen Z, but not all of them, but many of them operate very, very differently. They grew up not in a world where the internet was a new thing, like when Mel and I were playing Oregon Trail and there was diphtheria and there was one game but in the world where there there was no 
life for them before Instagram. There was no, Mm -hmm. there was always a Facebook. There was always this real connectivity. So they connect to things differently, but how do we foster that? So that was, that's my addition. We will get to the 10 things, but Joe and Lish, if you have something to contribute or something even better than what I said, do it. Yeah, I got, I got something, something in my mind. So like, if, if being asked to, uh, perform the thought experiment of decentering rightness gives you so much agita that you just, you can't do it. Um, I think that it is such a, a it's a cop out, but it's also a telltale sign of of the failing of your like logical reasoning. Like it's a, I think that there is a logical fallacy in thinking that well being having pride for being black if that's allowed then i should have i should be able to have pride for being white like they think that if it goes one way it should go the other way and that means equity they don't understand the difference between having the same thing no matter what and being equitable those are two separate concepts here um and and, and there is just a it's not understood or or maybe on purpose like they don't it's like a rejection of 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 of, um recognizing these things but decentering whiteness is is a thought experiment and if you can't even if you don't even say well what if this is the case then what and then follow the experiment if you can't do that if i'm being honest i can't talk to you i can't like Mm -hmm. there's nothing else for me to you know and me trying to get white people to decenter it's not it doesn't fall on my shoulders or other people of color to kind of compel white folks to, to decenter whiteness. Um, white people will certainly deep, they will certainly benefit if they do so. Um, but it, the, the burden of having to do that does not fall to me or any other person of color. It falls on each individual white person who, um, if they want to benefit, if they stand to benefit from it, then, then they have to. And maybe that's, a, if I'm being honest, maybe that's a little harsh, but I don't know. I lived a lot of life and i mean you guys the two of the the two of you are older than than me (laughs) but uh so far in my life i have did she just call me old no (laughs) you're older than i am um i'm just i know but there are there are some instances where i need to just you know you know what i see where it's going i know that i can't make any headway with this individual and I'm just going to get my peace of mind. So I'm just going to bow, bounce. You know, I'm just, that means leave. I'm just going to like exit stage left and like, let me <laughs> yeah. do me because I, no matter what I say, they're not going to take heed. So that is it should be very telling like, for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting to, at the end of the day, whiteness ultimately can't really be decentered unless white people participate in that project. Yeah. It's yeah. just not going to happen. It's not yeah. possible. Right. And in that conversation, to Alicia's point, I think like in in kind of thinking about the things that we have said about whiteness and white, specifically like white supremacist culture, right? Like this idea of like center what it centers <laughs> individualism over community. It centers like professionalism over pace, power over peace, right? Like essentially whiteness power hordes. It's greedy. Um, that is tiring. That is exhausting. Yeah. That is not only exhausting for me, that is exhausting for white people. Yes, it like, is. 
white culture, white. She's like, yes, I'm, I'm white and I'm exhausted. Yes, I'm, exhausted. <laughs> like, I'm tired. Yeah. Whiteness, whiteness, literally like hurts. And and Chaichal just says this all the time. Like whiteness hurts white people too, right? Yes, like racism also hurts white people. Like the ways in which we interact with you know inequality based off of like all of that hurts white people as well. And I, in my old age, I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning this, to- just so you all why she's saying that and we're laughing at her because she has this running joke that she's the oldest person in the room constantly and she's yes. been running that joke for as long as we've known her yes. so go back so you in your old age yes like it with me in my old age I'm learning what's mine to hold mm-hmm. um and helping helping white people understand why they need to detach from this and help themselves is not mine to hold. And and I'm not saying in the in the sense of like, because I, I work in higher education and this is literally part of my job, right? I, I hold workshops, I hold conversations. I am um, constantly doing this in my work and engaging in this work. Um, so I do this work all the time. But you pay but for it. Sometimes I'm not, to be very honest with you. I mean, you work in higher education, so yeah, all the people who are working in higher education also know that you it's, it's duties as a sign. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, we're uh, we're voluntold a lot. Yeah. Um, but you know, I say this to say that, like, I I don't to your to your to answer your question, Mel. Like, I don't know that that is mine to hold because not only do I have to contend with you know what I have to deal with with what how whiteness impacts me and the negative ways that whiteness impacts me. I have to I have to live this world as as woman and I have to live this world as black. I cannot ho- take on the weight of helping white people help themselves and free themselves from whiteness. I have to do that work myself and I have Right. To I mean the only thing you that. can do is unearth it for them so they can see it. And that's the thing I think in the work that even that I do, I only do the decentering and and showing white people what's going on with them because it impacts the people of color that I work with on a daily basis, right? right? So that's why I do it, but it is, is to have and to hold and like to really figure out what in that. And to Joe, and to your point, we also have to de, we are living and we didn't get into that too deeply, but we're sitting here decentering whiteness in our own lives because the same education system you grew up in, we also grew up in, yeah. in a in in the united states like you know mel for whatever you grew up we were told the same thing like there there aren't kids in the united states who weren't told that in 1492 columbus of the ocean blue we all were told that same lie and that it doesn't look like us right so we all are having that to de i mean for me one of the first things that i had to decenter was like I wanted to play tennis, right? Like, and now there's Serena and Venus, but when I was younger, cause they're me and I'm about the same age as them. Um, I was like, I want to play tennis because it's so awesome at a country club and a blah, blah, blah. And I was like, do I want to play tennis? Cause I think it's fun or because it's like a white elitist sport. And it was because it was a white elitist sport. Mm-hmm. So I've never learned how to play tennis. And I, I mean, I think now I would go and probably play it, but I wanted to decenter that for what was fancy, what was awesome, what was the greatest thing to do and not playing basketball or any of the like you know certain things like there are so many things that black people don't allow themselves to do because it centers it it doesn't center whiteness and it centers what we can what is considered bad or poor like I knew a black person who said I don't eat fried chicken at all because of how it is stereotyped against black people I'm like do you know how delicious fried chicken is (laughs) like to not eat it but that's the same thing I have never gone to a white uh, event and eaten watermelon I'm just not gonna do it because I've had I've had that yeah. conversation where some goes, well, don't all black people love watermelon? And I'm like, don't all white people love watermelon? Like, 
Watermelon's delicious, and I've never had an experience where I went to an event and had to worry about what I ate because of what people were going to think of me. It's just, yeah, yeah it, it, like, there's just like, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Like there's so many things that you have to think about on a daily basis. I just mm-hmm. never have to spend that mental space or that emotional yeah. energy having to do. Taishal, earlier you asked me what I would say to white people who are offended by the idea of decentering whiteness. And I've been thinking about this this whole time. And I want to pick I'm up. I'm glad on you remember the question because I was like, I, I'm going to ask you that same question. I was going to say same question because I forgot. Well, I've, but yes, I've been thinking about how, like how I would explain this. Yeah, and I want to tap into something Joe t- touched on about hoarding power. And so the analogy that I would say is like, let's say I've got a house and my neighbor's got a house next door, and and there's an apple tree that both houses own. So it should be 50-50 split in those apples. Okay, just go with me for a minute. I got some weird analogies today. I'm not going to talk about toothbrushing. She likes houses a lot. So many of them. But anyway, so let's say I go up to that tree and I take 95 of those apples and the ones I leave for my neighbor are like the ones with worms in them. Okay. And then Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sitting there with all my shiny apples and someone comes along and says, um, you are not supposed to take that many apples. (laughs) You took too many. You're not sharing. And I get offended. And I go, how dare you criticize me? <laughs> I can't call myself a moral person, number one. Okay? Mm-hmm, I can't call mm-hmm. myself a good person, even though I think that I earned those apples because I picked them, right? But I took more than my share. Number two, there's no way I can ever have a healthy relationship with my neighbor after that unless I make it right. So for me, decentering whiteness is sharing. It's taking up the right amount of space. It's not saying I'm going to grind myself into the dust and have no apples. It's not saying I'm going to take all the apples and ignore the fact that people are saying I'm taking all the apples is that I'm looking for ways to share that power. So for so me, I'm going to, I'm going to add to your analogy. It was a community apple tree and you uprooted it and put it on your property <laughs> and then took all the apples that all of the neighborhood had. And that's more accurate, but these, right. Because of colonialism and yes. native American, right. I mean, or I'm saying, indigenous not native american i'm not going to hyphenate that i try to not do that at all but you the it was a community tree that everybody had access to and i privatized it and and the the native people who were caring for the land when you came over on whatever boat and came you they gave you an apple and then you went back home and then you said i'm actually coming to live on this land and i'm taking that tree and then you were like oh man and then you know one day a person had to sneak in your backyard to get an apple that belonged to everyone and you're like you're a thief you're going to jail you should Mm -hmm. go to jail i'm gonna build a system and hide you and and build a, a a jail out of the twigs of the tree and you can no longer have apples. Oh, oh so. yes, it's so spot on. Yeah, and then, and then your offended. kids inherit that the, the apple tree. Then your kids inherit the apple tree. <laughs> and you get offended when someone comes along and say, "You should have never had that tree. Why don't you just give ten apples away?" And you're like, "How dare you?" I worked hard for this tree. To, I worked hard to uproot this tree from everybody for my family. <laughs> my grandfather stole this tree. Fair and square. <laughs> Yeah. They're like, actually, you're supposed to put that you have to put the tree back. And you're like, we earned this tree. And you're like, you this didn't. You're like, but you're trekking a tree away from me. And it's now you're my start calling these, inheritance. Right. So now you're going to start calling these the apples like, Fuji and Brayburn and Pink Lady. I don't even like you calling these apples different things. Why can't everybody just be called Apple? Apple was actually the original name for all fruit, just so you all know, before they actually branched out into other names for fruit. So Apple I'm was so like glad kind that of the happened. core name. 
<laughs> right. Uh, also, apples are amazing, and there's 30 different kinds. So, or 30 Why or more. Why don't you all expound on my toothbrushing analogy to the same wonderful degree? Because that you it just was did ridiculous, it. And, and and I brush my teeth when I wake up before I eat things. I just I just imagine uh, Mel having a mini fridge below her bed where she just pulls out some snack, and she's like, amazing. I can't change. And she's like, no, I can't taste I my cheese stick. Well, that that, 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 that lives well, sleep. Okay. That weekend. That's where she exactly. is. <laughs> You wake up on the weekend, you be like, I ain't doing nothing, watch my face, I ain't doing nothing. I'm just going to sit on the couch, watch TV, and then in a few hours later, Give me a you up, yeah, I feel yeah. you, I feel you. I'm not afraid to admit that. <laughs> but, yeah. but also now it's not the morning time, it's noon, and she's like, <laughs> why does that granola bar taste like the inside of my mouth? I can't taste anything. Okay. All right. Well, let's so, see our list before we... <laughs> so I'll, I'll, if somebody wants to take the first three, okay, I'll take okay. the next three. I'll take Again, four, is, five, and six. This is our list we came up with, with ways to decenter whiteness. Absolutely. Yeah. I could take, take those three. first three. Oh, thanks. Me. I volunteer as tribute. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the first one that we I don't know. I don't actually know what that means because I've never seen that movie. No, I'm sorry. Oh. Go ahead. The first three. In <laughs> but you know that whiteness. it came from, but you know the movie. Because it's it... a white movie, so I have to know it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like I've never I have Full never circle. seen Harry Potter and I know more about the houses I know more because I worked with students and they would be like I'm Dumbledore but I'm like I don't know what, who That's that not is a house. Oh, I don't know okay. <laughs> no I know what it is it's like the Slytherins the Hufflepuffs see I've never um, seen that movie I know anyway we uh, we put together a list of decent things that you can do to decenter whiteness and Alicia's gonna read the first three we're yes, a hot no. mess all right, at this point <laughs> number one if you're not including perspectives of people of color in your work or research on people of color, you're not decentering whiteness. That was number one. Number two, if a person of color tells you about a racist experience and you don't believe them, you are not decentering whiteness. Number three, if you are showing people of color as recipients of help or charity and not as leaders in dynamic roles, you're not decentering whiteness. Awesome. I will take the next three. And I, we did have some, we did, we, when we say we came up with this list, we just sourced a place to, because I don't want to ever take credit for anyone else's work. We thought about some of the things that really happened in our lives. And then we also sourced some of the great information that is out there about decentering whiteness, both in classrooms, in organizations, in, in yourself, in, you know, many different places in the workplace. So we did source some of the things on this list as we are adding to it ourselves and what we thought were important and that resonated with us. So I wanted to make sure we made that um, clear. So number four, if you refer to white people as people and BIPOC, black, indigenous, and other people of color as black or brown people, you are not decentering whiteness, right? White people can't just be people and everybody else be. And that, that also goes for code words like diverse. And you're like, white people are not the same either, right? Okay. Um, especially if you don't wanna be called white. If you don't have real diversity on your boards, in your leadership positions at the highest levels of your company, then you have not decentered whiteness. And I'll, I'll, I'll do the next one and then hand it off to someone else. If people of color are not creating, implementing, and leading without the white gaze of people hovering over 
to say what is good and what is bad and what is acceptable and what everyone else will get, then you cannot be disentering whiteness. And I'm going to hand it to uh, Mel and then let Joe close us out so that um, I think there are, well, we, I've read three. So there's, if, if uh, Joe, you, I mean, I'm sorry, if Mel, you can take the next two and then Joe, you can close us out so that the yeah. white person is not the last voice. Perfect. <laughs> Way to decenter whiteness. Yeah. Uh, number seven, if a white voice has the final word in every situation, you are not doing the work of decentering whiteness. Number eight, if you are not reading books by people of color, as Taishal mentioned before, you're not doing the work of decentering whiteness. And Joe. Number nine, if you think that a BIPOC's response to racism is worse than the actual racism, you are not decentering whiteness. And lastly, if you insist on intruding on affinity spaces of people of color, you are not decentering whiteness. What are uh, those last two really hit me? Joe? Go ahead, go ahead, Joe. Um, what are? What can are... you explain what affinity spaces are for anyone who doesn't know what that is? You want me to do that? Yes, please. Yeah. Yeah, so um, affinity spaces are spaces that are um, specific to um, people um, of, of different ethnic or, um, uh, or you know, different backgrounds that, you know, center on marginalization. So there are spaces for Black folks, there are spaces that um, are specific to Indigenous folks, um, uh, spaces for LGBTQ plus folks, spaces that are specific to women. So anyone um, that sits, so any group that sits in the intersection of marginalization um, uh, usually have spoke, spaces that are safe for them to be able to discuss, to be in community with one another. Um, uh, and those spaces are considered affinity spaces. And I'll, I'll take that a step further and say when we're looking at even intersections, right? So we can say there are spaces for just black women. And then there also are spaces that, you know, there's a, a lot of hashtags of uh, QT, PO, uh, QTPOC, so trans, queer and trans people of color outside of the LGBTQ group as mm -hmm. uh, queer and trans people of color have found themselves not welcome in spaces that are supposed mm -hmm. to be for mainstream or um, white LGBTQ um, folks or queer and trans folks, right? So when we're looking at them, those last two that you brought us home with, Joe, were really hit me, right? So when we're looking at, if you're, how often do you people think the response of, of, of the response so racism is worse than actual racism is an entire episode that we will have to do because I think about that so often where people say, I just was on TikTok and a modern warrior made some comments. He's an indigenous creator. And somebody said, well, your rhetoric is anti-white and it's that's real racism. It's like, well, I thought real racism was racism. What, what is real, like qualifying it. And then also um, I, I think that one of the things that I've noticed and, and I've led workshops and that when we're leading workshops, often we cannot make affinity spaces a level one conversation because when we do, we often, we always create, and I've, I've been to workshops, um, and there are spaces for white people to, to create, to, to gather in an affinity space. And white people really often don't know what to do in that space without voices of color, which is also impactful about what is whiteness when you don't know what to do with it outside of yourselves. Um, and to be able to hold that. So usually affinity spaces are like a level two type of conversation. And, and, and that's a really interesting thing. So I hope, and, and, and I'm not going to say pray, but I hope that white people can really get to a place where they understand themselves as indifference to whiteness and then also how whiteness all whiteness impacts them because one of the things that really struck me too as, as joe was talking about um what whiteness does to white people as, as she said i often say is that if we're not 
if we center whiteness and whiteness is this ideal that you have to be certain things, you have to measure up to certain things, then we're leaving out poor white people, right? There, you know, it, it, poor white people, what about a poor white person who needs access to social programs such as uh, a welfare, um, um, TANF or um, uh, what people call food stamps? Um, what, what happens because 66% of the people on welfare are white. I think it might have lessened just a little bit being the other 40 something percent of the people on receiving, um, food assistance. Um, tempor- that's what TANF stands for. Temporary assistance for nourishment and food. I think something No, like needy that. families, temporary needy families. Need- SNAP T- is what food stamps snap. is. Yes. Thank you. Alicia, so and I, I'm, my, I feel so bad because I have a person who works, a, a friend of mine who works in that. He's like, Tashel, you're going to get, he's going to be like, Tashel, why'd you say that? SNAP and TANF um, are social programs that people should act, be able to access when they need them. And if white people see that they should not be able to be on them because they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps, how many people are dying because of that? Or people, you know, you've literally heard people say, like, I don't want to be on Obamacare. And although I don't think Obama's the greatest president, um, you know, you know, it, it, he he widened the access to, to, to public health care. And people were like, I'd rather die than take Obamacare. There, there's a book called Dying of Whiteness that a researcher actually mm-hmm. interviewed uh, these white men in the Midwest and uh, followed them over a period of time. And there were several of them who were foregoing health care because they were so right. dead set against Obamacare because they didn't believe in it. They would literally rather die than accept socialized medicine, especially socialized medicine that had the name of a black president. So it's really, yeah, whiteness, that hurts white people. That That hurts, you know, it, it hurts us and it compromises our relationships with people of all ethnicities and all backgrounds. So and one of the things I want to do is to, to make sure that people understand and, and note that I don't in, in this conversation, I don't want to end at this point because I, I have something else I want to say, because I don't want to center whiteness in the conversation about decentering whiteness in that <laughs> there's so much out there for black people to be able to hold on to in decentering whiteness and we have to do that work as well i just i actually just and i haven't been on tiktok in a while but i just made a tiktok about um respectability politics and decentering whiteness um from generation to generation respectability politics being something that's akin to centering white supremacy and and it, it's a it's a process but how we open ourselves up to being able to for me one of the ways that and i'll say one of the ways that i specifically do center whiteness and i'd love to hear from each of you i'll, I'll you know i'll toss it to mel go to alicia and then end with joe about how you are decentering whiteness in yourself uh, one of the ways that I have decentered whiteness and, and, and am working to do so is using the language that comes natural to me. And for me, part of that is AAVE. I love it. It's a beautiful language. Um, uh, Alicia and I are both from the Philadelphia era, area, so we do share um, some common language like John. And it, it's it's such a beautiful language, um, not language, um, dialect that has so much history behind it. It has its own phonetic system. It has its own cadence, its own syntax and things like that. And I use it because it's great. It's so flavorful and it means so much to me that I'm thinking about the you that you know when somebody's used it wrong. Mm-hmm. You can just go, 
yes, there's rules no. to this. Right, yeah. There are rules. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have taken to following creators a few um, on TikTok that I'll, I'll, I'll repost some of their videos um, in our in our socials that talk about using it and how they use it. And that's one way I decenter whiteness. Um, and then also the other way that I've been doing this, and somebody said this to me at work today, when they, when they asked me a question and I didn't know, I didn't pretend to know the answer. They were like, this is why I love you. You're just really refreshingly honest when you don't know something. And I was like, because the goal in life is not to know everything. You can get three PhDs and that's three small areas of three concentrated things. You don't know everything and you don't have to. And that's okay. I don't, I can go find people who are not um, scholared authors who have a deep knowledge on something. And when I don't know something, I can admit that too, because I am a whole person. So mm-hmm. that's how, that's one way that I'm decentering whiteness. So I'm, I, I, I really think about that. So I'm going to toss it to Mel um, just to think about some ways that you may be decentering whiteness and how you are doing so. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways that I try to do, and I I have not mastered this by any stretch of the imagination. But um, I mean, this show for for one, uh, I'm so thankful for the work we've done here, and I hope that this can be a great educational and approachable resource for folks. I am continually learning, and I still make mistakes. Um, I think for me, decentering whiteness is a lot of it is letting go of my deep and abiding need that I've been conditioned to have to be a nice white person, to say I value kindness above niceness and I want to be called out if something I'm doing or saying is harmful or problematic. I want to, and I'll be receptive and I'll be teachable and I'll be try to be as humble as I can be. Like, please, I wanna learn, I wanna grow and I want to reduce the amount of damage I'm doing in the world, right? And, and being aware of the history of whiteness and the history of colonization. But also moving beyond that, you know, grappling with the shame of it, so important. But moving beyond that and saying, you know, how can we not just see diversity as, um, and I say we, like meaning white people proper in, in that we just now, how can white people not just see diversity as a chore, but see it as an opportunity to have a rich and abiding society with healthy relationships and and uh, diverse culture and diverse ideas and art and creativity and innovation. We only have thing, you know, wonderful things to gain when, when white folks learn to share power and um, change history and, and break that, those generational, um, you know, we talked a lot about generational trauma and there, I think there is a certain generational trauma that comes with, with perpetuating whiteness right? Not just trauma that we inflict on others, but that we inflict on our own souls. So again, to decenter whiteness in that, um, to, and I'll end with this note, to learn from people of color and to follow the leadership of people of color, to learn from women of color, to be in relationship with people of color, with women of color, and to have vibrant, full relationships. And I want to thank Tyshell in particular for this, because tyshell has been adamant through this whole project that we don't just develop a work relationship. She'll text me out of the blue, like, hey, I got a new coffee mug. Like, look at it. And it's it's awesome. And she's continually reminding me that we are not just the sum of our productivity. We are here to have a friendship, a relationship, and that our work is grounded in that resiliency of, of, of community. And it's a wonderful reminder uh, and a challenge to whiteness for me. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Uh, Alicia, how are you decentering whiteness within yourself or with uh, the, the sum of, a, of, of what's around you? Yeah. Um, so one of the uh, things I'm, I'm feeling really compelled to talk about um, 
as one of the things I'm doing to decenter whiteness is is doing me, um, no matter the perception. Um, so we talked extensively today about um, how we have to think about how we're perceived in the world if we were to do X or Y. Um, I I think that it is important for me to to double down on my interests, no matter if it appears as if um, it's not black enough or if it appears as if um, uh, some some white people might experience a little bit of agita with um, with like what I say. Also, that's the, the hundred dollar word. I was like looking it up on the side like agita. I didn't yeah, spell like, it. So it's me. I no, I got it. I, I did. I, I did actually get it. And I was like, I love that word. I'm going to use that word. But I had to look it up. You should have saw me putting it's like a AG day. And I was like, it yeah. is. <laughs> and also um, in your in your and I didn't mean to uh, cut you off too, but I love the your use of the AAVE in that I'm gonna do me, gonna do and because me. what that means is focusing on yourself, being yourself authentically. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm gonna do me, so you can do you. Yes. Yeah. And I'm a and just my biggest example, and then I'll I'll be done. Is like I like and I sing like classical music, um, but I do it. And it sounds like, you know, it's opera and, and yes, um, that that realm has certainly been um, um, uh, overpowered with a lot of white voices. Um, but my the people that I love and, and I'm obsessed with is, you know, the late Jesse Norman and then um, Kathleen Battle. These are these are black women who have had very successful careers um, and have paved the way for many people like in the classical world with having their big robust black voices like you know and so like being okay in that and pursuing those things and like you know like giving myself the agency and the space to pursue literally anything that i want despite the the perception is what i have been doing recently to combat um uh and to decenter whiteness awesome and joe you can take us home before we have to close out and let you know that we won't be back for a few months but anyway joe how have you been yeah. decentering whiteness in your experience and what's around you? Yeah, um, a couple of things. And I loved everything that everyone shared because I think I'm like taking a little bit from each of them. Um, but I think about it at work. Like I've started using AV at work. I started talking to my colleagues in AV. I started talking AAVE. I started talking to my students in AAVE, specifically my black female students, my black students, period. Um, because they understand me. I'm able to relate to them. I can use it. I understand it. They understand that I understand it. And it makes them feel comfortable, valued, seen, like. And no less professional on your part. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like, and I, and I make sure that my, 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 um, my coworkers understand as well. Like I'm being intentional about this, right? Like when I say I'm going to go to the office to get some, um, water to drink, I'm, I'm being intentional about that. So that way, when I say it, if you would like to ask me questions, absolutely. But don't start, don't start butchering it either. Um, but in my personal life, I think I've started to, I've started to listen to a lot more jazz. I've always loved jazz and I've always loved music because that's how you know my dad raised me on old school um, music. Um, so I've listened to a lot of jazz and I started getting into a lot of contemporary romance novels that center black women and that center women of color. 
Because I think a lot of the times we look at novels and we look at romance and we always see that white women are centered. There's and like a separate name for, for, there's a separate name for uh, novel, love novels and romance novels that center black people. They're called, if you go into a bookstore, they're called arabesque. <laughs> I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> what but word? I, used to, I used to read. It in, sounds in, in, in real sexy. It yeah. sounds very <laughs> sexy. Um, and then lastly, I think the last thing for me, I think sometimes we, well, we know, we talk a lot about generational traumas, but not enough about generational gifts. And one of the things that like I'm starting to focus on and I'm start, especially like through my culture and through my Haitianness and speaking Creole and like having my grandmother living at home with us, like focusing on the general gifts that I'm that I'm also receiving and making sure that I'm holding onto them and fostering them and actively like putting them at the forefront in order for me to pass them on to, you know, I hope to one day have children and I hope to one day have a family of my own and passing that on to my family and not just focusing on the things that like I have to unlearn, but the things that I, I was, that I have been given as gifts um, from my family, from my culture that I love and that, you know, I'm, uh, that I live so that I has been able to shape who I am today. Um, so focusing on the general gifts as much as, you know, I, I'm unlearning the generational traumas is also very important to me in decentering whiteness in my life. If you've ever heard Joe speak Haitian Creole, <laughs> it is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Um, so <laughs> I was in a car with Joe one day and she was talking to her mom and I was like, I don't know what they're talking about, but it sounds like an argument and it sounds beautiful at the same time. It is, I have been, I, in my life, I have been blessed with many different people uh, that speak different languages, different accents, things like that. So I, I just love all of that. The generational <laughs> gifts. Yeah, I Listen, yeah, I'm awesome. one for an African-American proverb i will tell you an african-american <laughs> proverb my mom used to say you can't vic a vic and she's like you'll learn when you're older i was like i don't know what that means what she's saying but i have learned so well so the generational gifts that we that we inhabit that mm -hmm. we are and, and and i think honestly we can take what alicia said and it it, it is honestly partly the final word like mm -hmm. do you that mm -hmm. is that is really you, boo -boo? how you decenter whiteness so like be authentically whatever it is who you are mm -hmm. authentically like don't put on a face a front because yeah. at some point when do you get to take it off or do they blend together like mm -hmm. really decentering that that's so, that's such a when you said it i was like yes i'm gonna do me <laughs> and whatever that looks like because one of the things i will say that is that the pandemic taught us is that like you know, for, for folks who don't get to um, be like um, uh, Mel and work from home in a, in a sweatshirt when she wants to. But no, you do you have had to go to meetings and put on certain shirts just to be seen as professional, right? Like we've I learned guess. that like I can do my job in a hoodie and still do it really well, right? Mm -hmm. So just that thought to like do you authentically and be who you are, but you can own all of the parts of you and yeah. in, in who you are. So I, I love that. That's the beautiful thing. thing about self-liberation too, that it exactly. is when you liberate yourself, you inspire other people to liberate themselves mm -hmm, too. Mm -hmm. It's very refreshing to be around people Absolutely. who are being themselves. And and we can only hope to be that in more all the as much as we can as we go forward because this life is really short. Yeah. Um, I just want to say long and it's short. 
it's i mean it feels long monday through friday but then like you look up and be like where did december go like how is it december 14th wasn't it just january 2nd um and where did 2022 like it's about to be so i just want to say i want to take this time to say thank you to joe and alicia not just for this conversation today which we knew would be amazing i didn't know it'd be over 30 minutes but like i could have assumed um but like it's amazing it's so fantastic the the funniness the all of it you all are great people to work with but thank you for all of the work you do behind the scenes to bring the show to folks um you you don't always get to see and hear their work but they are there if you haven't um got a chance to go visit our websites their lovely uh faces are there as well um I just really want to thank you for being a part of this, for being willing to um, give your expertise and, and help produce a show uh, that that we can bring you here. So I think, uh, you know, that we can bring to the people. So I just wanted to really, really say thank you um, for that. And Mel, I wanted to give you so, a chance to say some last words before I close this out and let people know where they can find us. I just want to thank you all for your your passion and your brilliance and your 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 hilarious and your you're so, knowledgeable and it's just been an absolute honor working with all three of you this season and uh you know who knows what's going to come from the show i've been involved in a lot of projects like this and they haven't all gone this well because the team hasn't been um as dedicated or as passionate and um great to work with so i just want to say a huge hearty thank you i'm very grateful Awesome. So as we close out, we just want to let you know that this is our last episode for season one. Thank you for sticking around with us. Hopefully you'll find us in your pocket, even if you haven't watched. So you can watch all 10. You can you can binge watch us now that we're in 20. We're in the 2020s um, in the in the 2000s past. I don't know. 2000 seems old. That's like 20 years ago now. So now that we're where we are in, in like how you binge Netflix, you can binge watch all 10 and listen to go. all 10 episodes. So thank you for being here. We will be back in the spring of next year with season two. So if you have ideas about what you'd like to hear us talk about, if you have some questions that you'd like to send, we hope to do one of our first or second episodes, some episode in season two, where we just answer your questions. We just sit and we answer your questions and give you our um, educated, but also uneducated perspective on it. <laughs> our thoughts and our, and, our, and our really raw feelings uh, so we really just want to, to say thank you to you all and see you next season. We're really excited to revamp. I've already told a couple people that they have to be a guest on our show because I get to work with and know so many people and they were like, yes, let me know when. So I absolutely can't wait. Mel, anything to add before we close out? No, I think you covered it. Yeah. Just cheers to everyone listening, being here with us. We have, this has been a blast. Thank and you. great and, and, and to have the day you deserve and hopefully you deserve something really well because you've been doing you uh and we will see you soon so roll that beautiful what do they call it bean footage outro <laughs> bye y'all bye, bye, y'all. bye. <laughs>